to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. And please welcome in your hearts to the pulpit the Reverend Dr. Lane Tipton, who is Professor of Systematic Theology, Westminster Theological Seminary, and is also a pastor in our denomination at Trinity OPC in Easton, Pennsylvania. Please give him your full attention as he brings to us God's word. I want to read uh, verses 17 through 24 for context, and the focus of the sermon will be on verse 20, what it means to learn Christ. Hear now the reading of God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Please be seated. <clears throat> Let us ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that by the power of his spirit, you would cause us to hear him as he speaks by that spirit through his word. Build us up in him, renew our hearts in him, and cause us to learn Christ Jesus our Savior and Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a little difficult to begin diving right into Ephesians 4 without a great deal of context, but by way of overview of the structure from 17 through 24, let me make this observation. 17 through 19 brings into view the plight of all who are not in Christ by the Spirit, and through faith. The Gentiles particularly have futile minds, are darkened in their understanding, are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. It is a plight from which it is not possible to escape on your own power or given your own natural resources. And verse 19 pinpoints perhaps the central problem of all who are in fallen Adam, guilty with original sin, corrupted in their hearts, and have lost communion with God. And here's the language. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, 
greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, what I want you to appreciate is what it means to be sensuous as the frame of reference for what it means to learn Christ. That word, sensuous, brings into view something very basic and something very fundamental to the person who is not united to Christ. The essence of a sensuous person is very simple to understand. A sensuous person seeks to gratify desires by forbidden earthly things. It doesn't have in view a sexual person. It has in view a sensuous person. That is a person who longs to fill desires with forbidden earthly things. Every single person who descends from Adam and Eve by ordinary generation is a sensuous person. I'll give you some examples. Ecclesiastes 1.8 describes a sensuous person. Listen, the eye is never filled with seeing. The ear is never filled with hearing. Seeking to be filled by what you sense. Seeking to be filled by what you see. Seeking to be filled by what you hear and taste and touch and smell. That is the essence of what a sensuous person is. And at its core, particularly when you think about the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve in the Garden, being sensuous involves desiring forbidden things and seeking to be fulfilled in those forbidden things. Think of Eve and think of Adam. They were distracted away from the beauty and splendor of God by what? By a piece of forbidden fruit. And you remember the way that Eve assessed it? It was what? Beautiful to the eyes, nourishing to the body, and as she believed Satan's lie, able to make one wise. Adam exchanged the glory of the living God for a piece of forbidden fruit. And he sought satisfaction. He sought to fulfill his desires in a forbidden earthly thing. That is the essence, the core, the center of a sensuous person. Let me tell you what happened immediately upon eating that fruit. Instantly, they realized what? They were naked and ashamed. Instantly, they realized what? What was appearing to bring pleasure brought lasting despair. What they thought would bring fullness brought slavery and brought a, a fundamental baseline dissatisfaction. All the way deep down in their souls, they were what? Empty inside. I want to give you an illustration that might be useful when you think about the 
sensuous person craving more and more earthly forbidden things. Here's the problem. The forbidden thing, this is the dilemma of every, every single person who does not know Christ has this dilemma, without exception. There are no exceptions to this rule. The forbidden thing that the person desires only brings dissatisfaction coupled with a longing for more of what cannot satisfy. Every single person who is not in Christ longs for more and more of those forbidden things that not only fail to satisfy but create a craving for more of what can't satisfy. You want a great illustration of this outside of the Bible? Edmund in The Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. What does Edmund eat? Turkish delight. Remember that? And what does it taste like in the mouth? Oh, it satisfies, right? And as he swallows it, he longs for more of it. But as it passes from his mouth into his stomach, what does it do? It turns. And it brings not satisfaction, but anguish and pain and dissatisfaction. And the more he eats, the more transient pleasure he receives, and the more lasting dissatisfaction overtakes him. Do you see it? It's a spiral. It moves downward. It descends. And the problem is this. Here's the plight of the sensuous person. The sensuous person seeks to fulfill himself with forbidden things in an endless cycle, seeking for satisfaction that proves elusive, seeking for satisfaction that does not satisfy. That's the essence of what it's like to be apart from Christ. Each time Edmund took a bite, Longing for more satisfaction, he was left wanting more and more and more. And he was a slave to Turkish delight. And what was the paradox of Turkish delight? It brought misery. It brought agony. Transient pleasure followed by lasting agony and misery. That is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 4.19. Now I want to ask you this question. Why is it that immediately after talking about that person, Paul says that is not the way you have learned Christ? Why does he say that? Why that transition? Well, let me tell you why. What you have learned in Christ is precisely the opposite of that sensuous person. That sensuous person is the old man in Adam. You are a new man in Christ. And there is the deepest, starkest, conceivable antithesis between the old man in Adam and the new man in Christ. And you are that new man. You are in Christ. So what is he saying? Well, first of all, Paul says that you have come to learn Christ. Two things need to be noted. First, you learn Christ 
by his spirit and through his word and in no other way. You can't learn Christ by looking at the stars. You can't learn Christ by looking at the ocean. You can't learn Christ by looking at the land. You learn Christ as Christ speaks to you by his gospel and in the power of his spirit as he has worked faith in you and you receive him. That's how you learn Christ. You learn Christ by his word and spirit working in you as you receive him by faith. For instance, in Romans 16, 17, Paul says, I urge you, brothers, note those who cause offenses contrary to the doctrine you learned. It's a learning Christ through doctrine. Philippians 4, 9. What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You learn Christ through the doctrine of his word and the power of his spirit. But more basically, I want to try to get this across to you. Do you know where Christ is right now? In his glorified humanity, he is seated at the right hand of God in heaven. But when he ascended to sit at God's right hand, Acts 2.33 says he received the Spirit. And then do you know what he did? He poured his Spirit out on his people. And Ephesians 3, 16 and 17 says this, that the Spirit of Christ is in your inner being so that Christ himself might dwell in your hearts through faith. You know Christ because by his Spirit Christ is in you and by his spirit and through his word, he is teaching you right now. Jesus Christ, sitting at the right hand of God by his spirit, is in his church and his church is in him by a mystical, spiritual union. And as his people, you learn Christ. But what does that mean? Well, let me make a negative point and a positive point that will lay this bare. Negatively, and what is mo most obvious, in Christ Jesus, you have parted ways with the sensuous life. You have been delivered out of being a sensuous person. When you were united to Christ by the Spirit through faith, a once-for-all irreversible breach with the power of sin was effected in you. For instance, Paul can say in Colossians 3.3, You have died, and your life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus. More specifically, that death is a death to sin. Romans 6.11 Reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. More broadly, 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ Jesus, behold, 
a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. In your union with Christ, you are not in the old man Adam any longer. You are in the new man Christ Jesus, raised up in union with him, that you might walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 4. That you might walk in good works God has ordained from the foundation of the world for you to walk in, Ephesians 2, 10. This is true of you as the body of Christ the church. It is true of you corporately. It is true of you individually as you trust in Christ by the Spirit and through faith. But what about the positive point? This is more beautiful. You have been delivered from seeking illusory satisfaction in sensuous things. You've been delivered from it. You are no longer the one who seeks for illusory satisfaction in forbidden earthly things. Why? So that you might find true satisfaction, real gratification in Christ Jesus himself. Let me quote from Romans 6, 10, and 11 again. The death he died, Christ, he died to sin once and for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does it mean for Jesus to die to sin and live to God? Well, let me try to put it this way. The death that Jesus died most globally was a death to this fallen age. Jesus entered into this fallen age and he lived through this fallen age without ever sinning. And the death that he died was a death to this fallen eon. He has been raised never to die again. Death has no dominion over him. And he has triumphed over sin, Satan, and this world. And he will never return to a world of sin. In his resurrection and in his ascension, where is he? Let me tell you. He is alive to God, his Father, by the power of the Spirit in heaven. Seated at the right hand of God. And he dies to this fallen order that he might rise up and live to God. What does that mean? What does it mean to live to God? I'll tell you. Living to God means living in resurrection fellowship with the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. The incarnate, crucified, resurrected, and ascended Son of God lives in the presence of the Father by the power of the Spirit right now, and He is in heaven. A real, created, invisible realm. A place we cannot yet see. He is there, alive. 
He has been raised into the presence of his Father. And I want to give you a text that will make this concrete. The very first sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.28, Peter quotes from Psalm 16.10 and listen to what he says about the resurrected and ascended Christ. And he puts these words from the Psalms on the lips of the ascended Christ. Listen to what Christ himself says as ascended. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me, listen, full of gladness with your presence. Psalm 1610 is fulfilled in the ascended Christ as he rises up into heaven. When he was raised and ascended, he came to know the paths of life as he was brought from the darkness of the tomb. He was raised to walk in the green pastures of heaven. He was liberated to rise up and ascend the glorious heavenly Mount Zion that we surveyed. Hebrews 12, 23. He entered into that most holy place at the right hand of God, and he is now seated at the Father's right hand. And as Psalm 16 says, at the right hand of God are what? Listen. Pleasures forevermore. Pleasure forevermore. There is in your resurrected and ascended Savior and Lord deep, lasting, abiding pleasure and gladness forever in the presence of God. There is joy and life. There is light and gladness for Christ as he is face to face with his Father face to face with the Spirit in the glory of fellowship. And do you know where that fellowship is not centered? It's not centered on any created forbidden thing. Please hear this. There is in your Savior, to whom you are united, there is nothing sensuous, there is nothing forbidden. There is nothing from this fallen age that brings satisfaction. This pleasure is found in God alone. This pleasure is found in the ascended Christ alone. The intimate, personal, vital, face-to-face -face fellowship in the Spirit is the chief delight of the Son of God. His soul finds delight in God alone. God the Father, by the power of the Spirit, is the delight of Christ. You have died to sin and are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Just as Christ has left forever the realm of the sensuous to find his delight in the Father through the Spirit who raised him from the dead, so likewise you 
who are united to Christ. The ascended Christ in Acts 2.28 has entered into pleasure forevermore by the power of the Spirit. And Acts 2.33 says what? He received the Spirit, received the pleasures at the right hand of God, and what has he done? He has poured out his Spirit on you. And by that Spirit, you have come to learn Christ Jesus. Do you see it? By the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, you have come to learn Christ Jesus. And that Spirit has been poured out on you in your union with Christ so that in Christ, by the Spirit, do you know who you are? I'll tell you who you are. You are no longer those who seek and find satisfaction in sensuous, forbidden, created things. Rather, by the Spirit's power, you seek your satisfaction where? You know this. I don't even have to tell you this, but I must. Where? Christ. Christ crucified. Christ raised. Christ ascended. Christ returning as your intercessor. In Christ, you dine at a table that is set for you. There, you feast on the finest food. There, you drink the very best wine. There, you find eternal pleasure in the one who has loved you and given himself for you so that you might belong to him. You have learned Christ, and Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is your life. Christ in you is your delight. Isn't that true? It's because you've learned Christ. Listen to Isaiah 55, 1 through 6, in light of your union with Christ. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Do you want to know what has happened? You now Eat the food that satisfies because you feed on Christ. You now drink the wine that delights because you drink in Christ. These are metaphors for communion and fellowship that is pictured right over there at that sacramental table. It is a sign and a seal of what is yours by the Spirit through faith 
in Jesus Christ. You have learned Christ in this way. And do you want to hear what is so much better about Christ? The more you taste, the sweeter he is. The more you eat, the more he satisfies. The more you drink, the more you are filled. And do you know what wells up in you? I know you do, but I'll tell you. What wells up in you are living streams of water that only satisfy endlessly in what way? Look, in an ascending upward movement that knows no end. Do you see that? That is your Savior. He fills you with ever-increasing, never-ending pleasure, a perfect satisfaction that knows no end now and forevermore. Amen. He fills you in a way that is diametrically and categorically opposed to the way the sensuous person is filled by these, filled by these forbidden earthly things. The sensuous person is filled in a fleeting way to crave more of what cannot satisfy. Not so with Christ. You have not learned Christ this way. He fills you in such a way that you go from fullness to fullness in him never ever reaching a terminal point of pleasure and satisfaction that is found in fellowship with him. I want to quote from your Savior in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless us and give us fullness in Christ, strengthen us in him, and cause us to find in Christ